Hey, and welcome to the Why Bun Scott podcast. This is Doug Bunnell. I'm joined here by my brother. Hello. <laughs> and we got Scott Bunnell. And we are here with Ginny Bunnell for kind of a revenge of the podcast. The very first <laughs> podcast was all about Ginny Bunnell. And this is a chance for her to get in a response. She gets to give her <laughs> side of the story. So, all right, right. So, Ginny, welcome. And mom, good to have you here. Thank you. It's a treat of a lifetime to be with my two favorite men. That's it's a joy. But oh, as we, this is kind of a fun chance to get together and remember. But this has been a sad weekend, and so we start yeah. this dedicating this beginning of the podcast to Clyde Wyant, who was our uncle and Ginny's brother, and just one of the great, one of the greatest men that I know. Just a gentleman, a true gentleman of generosity and kindness and integrity, and so. As we begin, um, you know, we miss him and we've missed him for a while. And but we just yeah. wanted to just sort of share maybe some stories that we have. And I'll I'll just start. We were just talking about this, but I will always remember Clyde because he is connected to one of the most important football events of my life. And Scott, you <laughs> you were there, and Scott and I, and we unfortunately, we, yes, we went with Clyde, and he took us um, on the Bart on to Berkeley. And he was with us to go watch the Stanford Cal big game of 1982, which had one of the greatest almost endings of all time. John Elway <laughs> led the team, led the team all the way down the field, kicked the field goal with four seconds left. It was just awesome. And we yeah. all know what happened then because they hit five laterals and ran through the band. And that is one of the most talked about and remembered football events of all time. And we were there with Clyde. We were there with Clyde and we had that long trip back on the BART. It was probably the <laughs> longest trip back of any football. You could game. hear a pin drop. All of us. At just, a train station. All of us <laughs> dazed, dazed and confused. It was crazy. So, but I just, uh, I will always remember being with Clyde there and how much, how much fun Jay, he was at a football game. He, yeah, he Jay was there that. too. Jay was there, but Jay was in the student yeah. section. That's right. That's, he was going to Stanford at the time. Right? Mm -hmm. But that was that's a memory. Scott, what do you, what do you remember? Oh, a lot of memories, of course. But uh, going to Hawaii, yeah. and I think you, I was, I, we, were, you were probably in high school. I might have been in junior high or freshman in high school. Yeah. And um, the trip to Hawaii was amazing. Still, a lot of great memories. <sighs> Jay and Jim, and Uncle Clyde, and then and my dad was there, yeah. and uh, and mom, and that was. And I just remember Clyde, the, um, the, 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 you know, the waves in the waves in uh, Hawaii are a lot longer and different than they are in Northern California where we grew up, and and uh, and then they had that stupid the death mask and, and, and the death mask with the with the buoy on the top and the nose, just like the worst, the, the biggest design flaw in any scuba equipment of all time. And, and, and Uncle You've Clyde walking seen. out of the water trying to use it. Everybody had a shot. Everybody was like, I Everyone can, had I can make it work. Mask. I can make it work. <laughs> and then uh, Uncle Clyde comes in and, and, and the classic line that, that will go down in history of the, of the Wybun Scott family, war is hell. <laughs> war is hell. And then, of course, the six hour, the, 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 the worst 
worst uh, boat ride I've ever taken. The six oh. sea fishing trip where all <laughs> the vanels got sick, none of the wines got sick. That's right. <laughs> oh, that was miserable. It was a fishing trip that I was introduced to raw tuna, and I will forever yeah. be thankful. My <laughs> life was changed on that moment. Yeah, no. Mine was uh, two in a different direction. Yeah. <laughs> neither, neither of you, neither of you have found the, the joy, but it was not at all. Was, that was a good moment. But yes, every time I get that smell of diesel smoke and yeah, that, feeling, right. that feeling of being seasick, that was uh, it was terrible. But let me tell you one of my earliest memories of Clyde. It was when we I was very little because we lived in a house on 14th Street in Tulsa long before we moved. So I was under six, maybe five or four, but I remember that Judy had made for the first time a batch of chocolate chip cookies. I mean, she was barely, oh, oh, you know, she must've been seven. And we passed these cookies around and Clyde took a cookie and he said, this is awfully good. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Another memory sitting at that same table one time, Clyde, again, in that old, that house, Clyde made a, a bread and butter sandwich. We were eating dinner. He made a bread and butter sandwich. And my dad said, here, let me see if that's okay. So he took the sandwich and took a bite out of it. And then he handed it to each person around the table. We passed it around until when it came back to Clyde, there was no sandwich. And that was <laughs> so funny. That was one of my... What about the Pony Express? I remember you telling me that when I was a kid, even that his... Oh, Clyde... The, the lawn mowing, uh, his lawn yes. mowing uh, business right. or whatever Clyde, all the little boys my age adored Clyde, and they were always in our backyard, and he was often coaching them in baseball or football. But he also used them cleverly to do <laughs> chores, and he would tell them we're going to play Pony Express, and you take the the the, uh, the lawnmower, the lawnmower around uh, one time, and then you hand it off to somebody else. They take it. Oh, they just thought that was the best game. And the other game he played was they were they were they were unloading the ship, and he got them to clean out his closet that way. <laughs> and they loved every minute of it. And he came oh, through. That's hilarious. I've always thought there was a little Tom Sawyer in Uncle Clyde. He, had he was that. good at organizing. Let's just say that he was uh, a good leader. But I think he he had that ability all of his life. I think people looked up to him. I think he he yeah. attracted people. He was kind and generous, and he would he would um, just share his knowledge and his gift of of cooking or anything. So right. really was incredible. So we and the we worst do. host, the very best host in the world. He just was, he yeah. was in, incredible. So we we do dedicate this, and and then maybe sometime soon we'll. We'll get to do one of a bunch of memories that we all have of, yeah. of Uncle Clyde. But but today, Mom, we got gotcha. you. We want to hear some stories. We want to hear your some of your stories of your your time growing up. What are some of the, you know, we didn't get all of them on the podcast about you. What are some of the stories you have? Oh, this is such a treat. Thank you. Um, you know, I was the third child, desperate for attention all the time. And Judy once said to me, she said, you know, mom and dad had these two placid children, so lovely and easy. And then along came you. and They didn't know what to do with this artistic, <laughs> jumping off the wall, energetic, annoying little girl. What did she mean by that? What, is, <laughs> what, what was, was she saying? <laughs> I mean, she was she was commiserating with me, actually, because I was the one that was always getting not punished, but um, straightened out, let's say. You would you, you know, straighten up, young lady or whatever. And I think it terribly bothered Judy that I was always getting 
reprimanded. And uh, she just wanted me to know that it was okay and that I was different. <laughs> I was different. They were they were much smarter, much cleverer, and um, but I was anything that anything that was glory and glitter. I was into that. And Judy and Clyde were wonderful, wonderful big brother and sister. I always felt so fortunate to have one of each, and I was proud to be their little sister. And I followed them in through grade school at Henry Barnard, through junior high at Wilson, through Tulsa Central High School, and then I didn't have any more creativity, but to follow them to Stanford. <laughs> and hard, hard to imagine that was an uncreative idea but so was that was that always like they went to stanford and was that a done deal this was i'm gonna did you did you think about going anywhere else i i did apply tulsa to... community community college or something like that <laughs> i just figured i'd go to osu or was it then um oklahoma a&m oh, oh, okay. but i mean i just figured i'd go there a lot of people did but i did apply to stanford and i i just wrote it in red ink and i i think I hope this isn't true, but I think I illustrated on the side. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm sure that's you true. Do. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. true. No, there's, there's, well, there's, a, about there's no it. doubt that that happened. Yeah. And then I applied to two other colleges of which I got re turned down by both of them. And one was William and Mary in Virginia. And they wrote back, I'm sorry, you have to live in William and you have to live in Virginia to come to this school. So that was okay. And I applied to that's not like, really a rejection. That's just like uh, <laughs> there's no internet and there's no way to check the rules of this. That, that seems like something they should have told you ahead of time. Well, it does, doesn't it? And then I got I applied to Duke and got turned down. I I didn't know anything about these colleges. We didn't, we were so ignorant. And it was just amazing that Clyde even went to Stanford. It was only a fluke that somebody even knew it existed. We were ignorant about so many things in Oklahoma, but it was a very good choice. And I, I figured that I got the prize. I mean, Clyde got the prize of being Dinkelspiel award winner. Judy got the prize of two Phi Beta Kappa keys. Nobody gets two, but Judy got two. She was so smart. And, and I got Kirk. I mean, <laughs> but, well, hold on a second. You were the homecoming queen. Well, that was, that, was high, that was high school. That was high school. Oh, that was so you're talking school. about your college career? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, college career. I am. Um, I yeah. met Kirk my sophomore year. But let me tell you a story that I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, before I met Kirk, I had a date with a friend of Clyde's. Clyde graduated in '60, and I came then that fall of '60. Just you were never. You guys were never in school together. You no, were never... but he, he was. He was living there in Palo Alto, so. Mm -hmm. It was it was great fun. Judy wasn't there the first time I started because she was in Stanford in Italy. In Florence. In Florence, right. And so Clyde was there and I did interact with him a lot. And somehow this friend of his asked me for a date and we were going into San Francisco, which we did. I wasn't particularly enamored with this guy, but what a great chance to go into the city. It was an exciting time in those days. And we went into San Francisco, had a lovely night, came back late. And we were driving home and I guess I went to sleep because all of a sudden I woke up and we were bouncing over a whole sea of railroad tracks. Did I tell you this story? You have. I, I remember this. This is a great one, though. I, I love this. I don't remember. It, it was a massive railroad tracks and we were ended up absolutely perpendicular to the tracks, stuck and we could not move. And I mean, he must have fallen asleep, too. And I often think back, think back at it. A lot worse. A lot worse could have happened. And so here we is. He said, "We've got to get out. The, the train will come along. We've got to get out." So we got out of the car, started walking down in the dark. We were close to the the water and the piers, and 
all of a sudden this car drove up and four African-Americans got out. Two women and two men, absolutely angels. I will forever be so grateful to these four lovely people. The women surrounded me and said, oh, we'll, we'll take care of things for your husband. I'm saying it's not my husband. <laughs> they worked, the men worked in a parking lot and they knew what to do with cars. And the one man got in and he just gunned that car and it covered, just bounced off the railroad tracks and got us mm -hmm. back so we could get home. And I've often thought they were truly angels that what gracious, sweet things for them to stop and to help us in the middle of a, what could have been just the worst night of my life. Yeah. As it was, we got home way past my late leave. You had to sign out for late leaves. And the story was that if you, if a date brought his wife, his life, his, if date brought his date home and you were late after, beyond your lately for every minute you were late he had to give you a flower well there was <laughs> a lot no the rose a rose rose oh my and, uh, he owed me a whole lot of roses and so he <laughs> did bring roses but there were some he cut off his neighbor's rose garden and they were not at all <laughs> what's expected i'm not sure that counts i'm not sure you get credit <laughs> uh... that. that doesn't sound like that's <laughs> so, Anyway, that was a story that I remember. I don't remember much about my freshman year, but that's what I remember my freshman year because I met Kirk right before my sophomore year. So, so growing up like high school, I mean, your your older brother and your older sister were both just insanely smart and talented and respected and yes. and good at school. What was that like coming into a school that had legends? I mean, legends of your older brother and older sister. What? What was that like going to school like that? Did you feel pressure? No, I, I was very pleased to be known as Clyde and Judy's little sister. But I do remember one time in seventh grade taking a math class from a, from a teacher that loved Clyde. And his response to me was, you are nothing like your brother. <laughs> and this was the teacher that I got in trouble with for chewing gum. Do you realize we got in big trouble if we chewed gum in school? And it's the one time I ever tried to do something dairy and rebellious and I got picked off right away and had to stay after school. Yeah. She's gone during math class. Did you have a uniform? No, no. Well, no uniform. Okay. We had to wear skirts. We had, had to wear, wear skirts. skirts. Yeah. Women had to wear skirts. Yeah. To, to all through junior high and all through high school and most of grade school. On mm. Fridays, you could wear pants underneath your skirt or something like <laughs> underneath that. Underneath the skirt. Because we were doing <laughs> tumbling. Oh, okay. So um, anyway, no, I loved being their brother and little brother, little sister. And, and Judy was always so good to me. Judy was just from the time we were little, she included me with her friends. I went on her brownie scout overnights when no, the little sisters came along. I think maybe my mother needed to get rid of me that night, <laughs> whatever it was. I was the only one, two years younger than the others and loved every minute of it. I was always included. I always went, I went on Judy's first date with her in sixth grade. She had a what? date with Bill Gerard. <laughs> to go wow. see a Roy Rogers movie at a matinee at the Delman Theater. And she took me along. We sat in the front row. Wow. And watched Roy and Trigger. And it was unforgettable. Wow. But that's great. That graciousness. She included me. That is graciousness. What what was it like when they were both in college? What were those last two years of high school like when they were both away? Oh, I was the only little chicken at home. And I loved it and I hated it. I was so wonderful when they came home, but it was kind of fun having mom and dad's full attention mm -hmm. and we got through it. Yeah. And 
but when they'd come home for, for vacations, oh, that was a happy day. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you mentioned that you met the dad in um, your sophomore year. I did. He, he was a senior. He was a senior. It was actually right before my sophomore year. Do you remember the the jolly up? It was a big party that was after the whole week of orientation. Ne- neither of us would ever remember the jolly up because it never existed in our <laughs> lifetime. Well, you're much too well, young. Doug, you went to Stanford, so much. And, and we would have a better name than the jolly up. <laughs> jolly up. We would work yeah, up. We would work up a better name yeah, than that's jolly. A horrible up. name, yeah. Well, the jolly up was tradition <laughs> that the last night they'd had a big party, and so Judy was a, a sponsor at Branner Hall, which is all girl, freshman girls. And let's, let's for, for the young people out there, sponsors, another word for RA. RA. Right. Except you were supposed to really be like a big brother, big sister. And Clyde had been head sponsor, which was a huge, uh, very nice position and ex- respected. And so Judy was a sponsor. Kirk was a sponsor. And usually sponsors moved with three because there was three sponsors in a area. And Judy and her friends were walking across the street between Wilbur, where Kirk was a sponsor, and and he was coming across with his three sponsor friends, and they needed dates for the Jolly Up. And so right then, they got these three girls, and they got dates with them to go that night, and Judy was Kirk's date. And that, and I, I then was going, I don't know why I was at Stanford, but for some reason, I went early to help out the student council or student government or whatever, cleaning out their their office. And so Judy's old boyfriend that they'd just broken up with, he asked me to come with him because I was always his go-to when Judy wasn't around. Mm-hmm. And I was also there. And after the big party, there was a pizza party for all the sponsors at Rudolfo's. Remember Rudolfo's? Yeah. 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 Just yeah. down the block from where we lived much, much later. Much later. Good but pizza good pizza and they had a a room at the back where all the sponsors met you won't believe this but your father kirk stood up and led the whole group in on top of a smoky and and what about that (laughs) what about that would we not believe we've seen him with the guitar lead singing many times that was in those (laughs) days nobody could believe he was such a quiet and and no unassuming unassuming thank you yeah, you get those physicists out at a party and they just go crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was a, but it was a one and only. I've ever seen him do that, um, though. As you were kids, he did a lot of, we, didn't we have fun singing all those songs, Gitchy Gitchy Goomy and all that, whatever. But uh, I don't remember, I remember the Gitchy Goomy. I remember a lot of So that was, Judy introduced me to Kirk as she was leaving and, and that was it. And then three weeks later, he called me. He needed a, again, I needed a date for a, a Cedro was this, the part that he was for the, he was a sponsor and he needed a date for a, spon- a Cedro party and evidently he'd asked two other people and they'd said no. And finally he got me and I, it was, a, for some reason I had a big rush. My first okay, wait, he didn't, he didn't tell you he asked two other people. That was something that came out, out that came out later <laughs> because that would, that would just, that just seems like the wrong way to say, you know, you're my third choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm definitely- so to, reiterate, to re- reiterate, he asked two other people first. You were his third choice. I was. Yeah. I, was, oh. I didn't know that, know that till not, not too much later, but anyway, <laughs> it was, uh, I was a date and it was one a pretty miserable date. We were so awkward and I was just a silly goose, but I wanted him to like me and, but it was not a particularly 
perfect date, but we got through it and had fun. That's, and, what, that's what dates are. Dates yeah, are. Dates are. Everyone's <laughs> trying to act like something that they're not to make to try to get someone to like them. That's what right, they're supposed right. to be. And then I didn't hear from him again. I think that I'm having trouble remembering it all, but I don't think we had any other dates after that. But I was certainly smitten. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was talking to another sponsor who owed me because I'd found a place for his girlfriend to come visit when spend the night with when she was visiting him. And so he, he owed me one. And and he said, what are you going to do for you? And I said, well, my little manipulating mind, I would like a date with somebody who's a sponsor. And he said, oh, Jerry. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he arranged for us to have a double date at lunch at the Stanford View. And I was so excited. I borrowed a yellow skirt and put a daisy in my ear and was just the coy cutest thing you've ever seen. And so we had lunch with them. And I mentioned to Kirk that I needed to know about existentialism for some reason. Oh, you read that, is such, a good, that is such a good line. That wow, <laughs> I mean, that's just awesome. Some in some class, I need. I had no idea what existentialism was. I'm still confused. Uh, but you, he said, oh, well, we just studied that in my philosophy class. If you'd like, I can go get my dates and my my notes and, and we'll, and I'll tell you what it's about. So after lunch, he went, got the notes. I changed out of the yellow skirt and put on a brown dress. And we went up into the hills and found some mud, muddy hill that we sat on. It turned out he had never been at that lecture. He knew nothing about existentialism. <laughs> he had somebody else's notes. <laughs> Neither one of us figured that one out, but we had a good time. So he was, he was totally, I mean, he, at that point, he sounds like he got a little bit more smitten. He was trying to do something to hang out with you. So he was yeah. just lying about knowing about existentialism. Well, he should have known about it, but he, he, he was supposed to have studied it, but he didn't show up at the lecture. So anyway. You think he would have remembered that. Right. I, <laughs> <laughs> I studied existentialism too when I was in college. It was Albert yeah. Camus was, we read yeah, a lot of yeah. Albert Camus and, and yeah. Rousseau. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I should have asked you. <laughs> yeah, <right>. well, <laughs> I wasn't around yet. But yeah, it would have been a problem. <laughs> yeah. But then we did start dating. We started then having a date once a week. He made it very clear he could only see me once a week because he was overwhelmed. He was a physics major, studied quantum physics physics and he was a sponsor which was overwhelming and he just didn't think that there's any way that he could have a a girlfriend but he didn't say it quite that way but he made it very clear that once a week we could have a date so i just stayed available <laughs> if anybody called and i said no until i, I wait until kurt called and it, and he did so once a week we would do something together and then he went home for christmas that christmas and they went to see Camelot. You know, they they went to all the Broadway movies living in New York City. Oh, uh, yes. Outside of New York at Larchmont. And so he was evidently talking to his mother about me and wondering if he could handle this. And his mother then remembered the song, How to Handle a Woman is to Love Her. You know that song? How to. From, Cam from Camelot, yes. Camelot. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he came home a different person and we had a date every night after that. Wow. <laughs> oh. We had a date. They were all oh. study gates. But um, they were all study dates, <laughs> except for his birthday. I took him out on his 21st birthday and we saw a movie of West Side Story. Oh, you thought no, if, you thought no, if no, Camelot, if Camelot works, classic. West Side Story <laughs> should work as well. Oh, yeah. You both sure. end up dead. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that was the beginning. That's how we met. And that's how our romance in 
came through and it was very awkward. <laughs> well, tell, I tell didn't know that musicals had such a key part in your in, in his change of heart. I'm glad to hear that. Wild Scott is an acronym you see. Wild Scott, fun for you and me. Wild Scott. The Wabon Scott Family Podcast. So then, uh, fast forward a little bit. Then he left for, tell me about the time that he told you that he was leaving for Malaysia. Oh my gosh, that was in the spring. And by the spring quarter, we were in a class, two classes together. We were taking Europe since 1914, history, and then astrology. And you never took quantum physics with him? Nope. I, <laughs> I scraped through Stanford, let's just admit it. But I was an art major. I loved every minute of that. Uh, but um, so that was great fun to be in the same classes together. And so one day we were, I was waiting outside of Dinklespiel Hall, waiting for him to meet me and go in and do the class together. And he came running across the parking lot, waving this letter, just kind of hopped all the way over. And he was so excited. And I, he said, I just found out I got accepted to the Peace Corps. I'm going to Malaysia for two years. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I had no idea he'd even applied. I was totally surprised, totally devastated. Two years, you're going to be gone for two years. And so he was. So he, uh, so he you know, was. So. In all these stories, he doesn't seem to come off as someone who was terribly kind of just knowing the temperature <laughs> of the room seems like he was a little bit naive little, maybe oblivious maybe oblivious <laughs> say he had some lack in some sort of skills but he wasn't used to being around girls he didn't date much and it was yeah. a whole world for him yeah. but we we kind of felt like this was a pretty special thing and um that summer he did training at DeKalb Illinois in in Chicago close to well in Illinois where it was hot and horrible. After the, that year, they started training him in Hawaii, so, but unfortunately he was trained in DeKalb, Illinois. And he then came and we had a week together. When I was a sponsor then by this time as my junior year, and he came that week of orientation, which meant that I was a terrible sponsor because I spent all my time with Kirk. But that was a real difficult time. We knew he was leaving and get this, he had a broken leg. And he had That's a right, from, length cast right, from playing soccer. He broke his leg in. So he in, broke his leg before he went to Malaysia. Yeah, he yeah. broke his leg oh. in training for Malaysia. Oh, training for Malaysia. Okay. So we had decided. Actually, he'd actually he visited before he left for for the um for the the two month beginning training, training, course, training yeah. side. So he'd, we'd been back together with my folks and he'd asked my dad for my hand. He'd asked my dad as we were driving back in a car with Jay, who was a tiny baby at that time. Did I tell you that my first date with, with Kirk was on Jay's birthday, October 9th? Oh, I didn't know that. One, and I remember so much on this first date running out to go to this Cedro, it was a the party, dance party. Um, and I said, oh, I'm an aunt. You know, I was so excited to this new baby. This is the first grandchild. Uh. So here's Jay. Jay's crying the whole time, and, and Kirk is trying to ask my dad for my hand and his. So he hadn't asked you yet. Well, he already asked. That, well, it, already wasn't, asked it wasn't quite official, but he he had asked him and said he loved me. And, the, when you get when you get the fly in your ear and stuff. Well, then the next time was when he that we that was after this when he was come to visit, and we oh. that one week before he left, 
for two long years. And we did this, we went, made it official, called the folks, went to get a ring. And so when the ring was ready, you went to pick it up and he got the box, the woman handed the box and he said, here, to me. (laughs) What? Once more, the obliviousness. Oh my gosh. I'm so embarrassed. The, she she runs around the, the the table and says, "No, no, no, that's not how you do." <laughs> Thank heavens. So he very sweetly took it back. And that night, we met. We we went under the tree that had been the place where we'd make out regularly. And he. La la la! I don't want to hear. Let's let's talk about that. That tree is that tree is next to the mausoleum, right? The tree was a great big oh uh, yeah. But it's right next to the mausoleum. That's next to the mausoleum. That's a very odd choice. That's That's a weird place. Romantic of choices. Yeah, that's a weird place to make out. But um, that would be the cemetery. (laughs) That was right next to the Stanford's graves, and and so just at the moment when he asked me to marry him. You're right, Scott. A little teeny tiny bug got in my ear and started beating its drums on my <laughs> eardrum. And I leapt up and started screaming and yelling and jaw hopping around. And it was hardly romantic. So we took the ring back. Later that night, we tried it all again and, and it was it worked. And I had a ring yeah. on my finger. So it was like and the third, was, third time's truly a charm. That was third the time. Third. And oh, and then, then he um, left the next day. Do you remember? Do you remember like how he left? And yes, he said, I remember how I left Palo Alto for school and never really came back permanently. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you went just at the airport, but do you? Well, I didn't go to. The, he didn't want me to go to the airport, so he had John take. Uh, me to the airport. So it was the uh, night. Good night to me in front of the Branner Hall, and I uh, went out the window as he kind of struggled off with his full length cast. Uh, wow! And. That was it. Two weeks, two years, two years of separation. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was devastated. Yeah. And I I thought, I'm not going to live through this. But we, after about three weeks, I knew I was going to die. And <laughs> I thought it had been three weeks and it was only two weeks. And that just two weeks. I just, <laughs> so you're I like, it's been three years, weeks. I, no, it's been two weeks. Oh. <laughs> was, was exactly. It. I was crushed. Only 101 weeks to go. But as it turned out, then I made it through that junior year, and then I got to go to Stanford and Italy my senior year. So I had my great adventure as well. Yeah. And Kirk came home August 14th. I always remember that day. We got married 16 days later. We had been apart. We had not been able to do anything but send letters back and forth. We had tried to send some reel-to-reel tapes, but that right. was the set tapes and was not very successful. Well, I remember hearing one of those when dad was, yeah. it, was it was kind of boring, but I remember hearing it when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah. And we could never get him quite right. Uh, but um, uh, it was great. He came home. It was like, we just had lunch today, the day before. It's like, well, hey, how are you? And we just, it was so natural and we were so glad to be together. And I think we sort of felt that way for the next 50 years. Just so privileged that we got to be together and live together. And it was. But didn't yeah. you try to go visit him? Once or twice. Oh dear! That was your idea. <laughs> I don't believe it ever happened, but that was the idea. Oh, didn't you? What? Oh. Didn't you try though? I just thought I just couldn't stand it. I had to go, so I thought that I should go and see him in Malaysia. And and Catherine Perkins, who was this family friend, had was gonna 
loan me the money where I thought I'd get the money to pay her back and with interest. I don't know, but she was going to loan me the money. So I produced this to my, I introduced this to my folks. It was, they'd come out for Thanksgiving and we were all together in a, in a motel. And I said, this is what I want to do in my, I'm, I'm going to go to Malaya. I've got, I've got the money to do it. And my dad said, no, no, this is cursing. You are not going. This is not in those days, girls didn't do things like go visit boys in strange places. But anyway, my father, my loving, wonderful father said, no, absolutely not. I was devastated. And I remember I wanted to go out and walk on the streets and my mother was horrified and I cried and cried. And, but then that was it. No, until Christmas. And I went back home for Christmas and I brought it up again. And he said, once again, no, this is Kirk's <laughs> experience. This is his chance. This is not appropriate for you to go. You are not going. Uh, I did not go. And later I wrote him many letters and telling him over and over again, thank you so much. It would have been a huge mistake to go. Right. Especially back then, just to travel would have been oh, a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And hot. Oh, it was so hot there. And this yeah. was the experience. And it was a very, you know, you know how important it was to him. How it much. No, oh, yeah, it changed his whole life. Yeah. War, war is strong his whole life after that. Yeah. That's right. And as he, he and later in life, it was a thing that he wanted to tell people the most about. Yeah. And true. it was an incredible experience for him. And, and what's been interesting for me is that I have some contact now with one of his students, which has been such a right. thing. Right after Kirk died, one of the Kirk's students who was visiting in the city to in, from from not from Malaysia but from Australia because he'd moved to Australia and his daughter was here and he'd come to visit his daughter and he wanted to get in touch with Kirk and he found out the obituary and he contacted me by email and. This sweet man has continued for nine years to contact me ever so often. And we became pen pals, essentially. And D Doug got to meet him this summer. I did. Yeah. So sweet. That so cool. It's all family. And we had lunch together this this um, fall, was it? No, yeah, it was Christmas. It was, fall. it was Christmas. It was December. Yeah. It was December. December. winter. It was great. It Christmas. Was and it was just lovely to meet him and his wife. And um, unfortunately, Scott, he had broken his hearing aids. So he was having a lot of trouble keeping up with everything. But uh, we continue to, to share our lives together and keep yeah. up. And he's very interested in politics here. And, and, so. and he was helpful to be able to share with us that those two those two months of training that that Kirk had were just utterly useless. You know, he just he was able to explain that they had they had taught them Malaysia. They had taught them taught them the Malaysian language, but they had taught them like the king's language. They had taught yes. just like old oh. old Malaysian that oh. wouldn't work with anyone. It was like can thou dost tell me <laughs> anon I can find the carriages and and they had taught him to belch after meals. They had taught him that that was the polite thing to do. And this guy was the one who was like, "No, we all just laughed. We were like, why does he keep burping after meals?" Well, I just remember him talking about like even walking home from these meals, he'd go to people's houses and some people's even huts. I think. And it was so hot and so and like he he said a like weird food like octopus and stuff that he'd never eaten before and he just opened Eyes. his throat yeah. open his throat and let it fall down. Yeah. And he'd oh, come he, home he'd come back to his he'd walk home crying because it was so hot. It yeah. was. But he would eat anything they gave him, which of course they just thought was wonderful. And right. I've got a picture yeah. of him. There was a picture. 
he went to an Indian wedding one time as the Indians were in the first place he stayed were so good to him. And he went to this wedding and there's a picture. He took a lot of pictures and he was so excited and he wanted to show the bride and groom how that, he, you know, so they could look at the pictures. Well, they thought it was a gift. So they took all the pictures and we never got to see any of them. But what he did have was one picture somebody took of him eating and everybody else had a banana leaf with the curry and stuff on it. And it was huge portion on Kirk's. I mean, immense portion on Kirk's. And everybody else had a little bitty, you know, small. But because he was, he was a... He was a guest of honor, right? Well, this of guest honor, of honor, right? Well, this had... student was very sweet. I mean, he just said that yeah. that Kirk was kind of a celebrity, that he was a celebrity in their town, and he said that another yeah. woman from that school had written her auto her biography about that time, and the only teacher that was mentioned was Kirk Bunnell. So, yeah, wow. all he would say is, "We loved him. We loved him. We loved yeah. him." I think they. I think it was a special. Yeah. Special well, oh, Scott, go. Well, I just thought he. He always said many times over that his job there was to help them pass the test so they didn't have to work in the rice fields the rest of their life. I mean, it was yeah. not like here. It's yeah. like they had to pass a test to go on to do, to more schooling right. to try to have a, some kind of career, some type of professional yeah. career. Yeah. Right. And um, so he took that very seriously. And that's probably one of the reasons why they were so loyal to him and, and, and had so much gratitude because yeah. he like pretty much he made – Everybody in his classes passed because he taught them how to teach, how to take tests. Mm -hmm. He didn't mm -hmm. pay a lot of attention to the curriculum as much as telling him how to take a test and pass the test. Yeah. yeah. Right. He was very careful about that. And it was so happy when he learned he got home. It was after he got home that he found out they'd all done really well. Oh, yeah. really? Uh, and um, that was a thrill to him. And it was because if they didn't, I mean, you got to realize these were kids that were 19 years old. These are junior college age kids. He was like 23. It was 22, right. 23, right. Um, pretty much the same age. But he was really good at taking tests and he knew how to do it and he prepared them. And then afterwards, when they had a little time after they took the test, he had so much fun teaching them all kinds of interesting things that he was, yeah. that would be a lot more right. fun. Yeah. yeah. And he was, he, he taught me a lot about test taking. I was a good test taker, I think, from yeah. the, I wish the, I thing, the things I'd learned from him about just the importance of that. But so you, you guys get married, and then when did you go to Chicago? How soon after well, getting married did you go to Chicago? You know, Judy got married first. Judy and Bob got married mm -hmm. July. Theirs was a very quick wedding. Bob came, they got they had to get married, and boom. So and so quick, they didn't get any any cake. They didn't get any cake. They, they, they heard that the wedding was so hurried up, too. But, you know, we wore the same dress. Right. And that was just so much Not fun. just the same. You switched dresses. You right. wore, you, you, you wore the same. My the wedding dress and the bride we only had each other as bridesmaids, and it was a horrible, <laughs> ugly gold dress. But we did, and, and we loved it. And then you, Kirk, and I got married five weeks later on August thirtieth, and then we headed after a week at the at the river, which was just a fishing cabin in those days. Judy mm -hmm. and Bob had also had their honeymoon there, and we headed then with the little old Rambler that Dad had given us as a wedding present that would have been his car. And he, um, we, everything we owned was in that car. We filled everything that we owned, headed off to Northwestern and Kirk started graduate school. He just wanted to be a teacher. He just wanted to have a master's, but they said, no, no, no. You need to get your doctorate. And thank heavens he did, he did. It was five years, but he got it very quickly. And in those five years, he was first in his class. 
and I produced two beautiful boys. <laughs> but what was that like? How did you get to know people? I mean, that was, you were just, were you home in student housing? Did you get jobs? What was that? What were those first married years like? Oh, they were wonderful. Oh, it was so good to be together. We were just so happy after being apart for so long and everything was adventure and it was great. We lived in a graduate student housing. We were very lucky to have a one bedroom apartment. If you didn't have children, you could not have a one bedroom apartment. You only got a studio. Uh -huh. room. Really? For some reason, yeah. we just happened to be at the right time. It was available. Oh, you know how we got that? Before we got married, I was. we were, also went to see my folks. We sent to see his folks in New York. And I didn't realize that my mother-in-law hated me at that point. At that point. <laughs> or my, my should-be mother-in-law. And so she had said to me one day, Jenny, do you want to learn how to iron? And I said, well, no, I already know how to iron. I spent my whole <laughs> life ironing and even ironing my dad's underwear, you know. I knew how to iron. And what she was saying, which I was stupid enough not to understand, was would you help me with all this laundry? Kirk brought back a duffel bag full of dirty clothes. And, uh, and you know, she didn't have a dryer in those days. Everything had to hang on the line. And she was pretty upset with me. So she, I didn't realize this till 10 years later when she told me this. Because um, we did love each other, right? She was a wonderful mother-in-law. But you, you were coming from a family that if the if you wanted help from the dry, with the ironing, you would have just said, "Hey, I need help me with the ironing." Right. right. <laughs> That's not what she said. Laundry. Can uh, can you tell can help you? me teach me how to iron? Because I don't know. <laughs> you never taught me how to iron. I have no, no idea how to iron. No, you taught. I don't you think I even own iron. Anymore. But you taught us not to buy clothes that needed to be ironed. <laughs> yes. I remember we go on sale. That's a nice shirt, and you're like, "Nope, that needs to be ironed. Don't don't, don't buy that." That's a polyester. That's not a good idea. Exactly. Anyway, she had arranged for us to go to Evanston to find a place to live. I don't know. We we were so oblivious. We didn't know where money was going to come. We didn't know where we we're going to live. We were just so glad to be together. I felt like I was. Like he was by Ashley and I was Melanie from Gone with the Wind. We were just... is, is that a good one to pick? That one doesn't end up lasting. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. let's pick it doesn't it have a lot of staying power in these days. Well, that's you know? true. You're absolutely right. But um, anyway, uh, we ended up and happened to be in Evanston, Illinois for one night at the Evanston Hotel, unmarried. So I turned my ring around and we stayed in the same room. Uh, this is all I'm going to tell you. But, uh, we ended up being able to get this um, <laughs> this apartment with an extra bedroom with a one. It was a tiny bedroom. You couldn't get anything but a baby bed in there and a and a desk. But it was wonderful to have two rooms. I mean, that was fantastic. And we just had. We just, I I didn't work. Well, I did work little. I worked as a uh, for a. Did you answer phones or something? I did answer phones in the evenings um, down below occasionally a couple times a night a week. And I um, worked at a daycare or preschool, I guess you'd call it in those days or these days. And for a woman named Mrs. Fisher, and I would come down and help the little kids when they had to use to go to the bathroom. I would, you know, take them to the bathroom and stay with them for a mm -hmm. while. Got $10 a week for that. But I didn't want to work. I love being home. I love playing house. And um, Doug, you were born, what, 18 months later? So. I, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so that was it. And um, Scott, you were born once we moved to the other side of Chicago and Kirk was then working at the lab, at the Argonne lab. So 
I so I'd like to know now that you you're a world world renowned artist. Your stuff is all over the U.S. and probably parts of the world. Um, I we had Sole, my granddaughter Soleil had a uh, school that her one of her classrooms had your art in it, which is bizarre. Did you know that Chris is my wonderful wife of thirty one years? Before we were married, someone gave her a card that she had kept, or one of her best friends had given her a card that was one of your cars. So yeah, did you? Yeah, and, so she, and like she was looking through cards, she goes, "Oh my gosh, this is your your mom made this." <laughs> so, yeah. what about what time did you know? Did you realize, hey, I can actually, I can make maybe do this as an artist? You know, I was an art major. I never intended to do much with my art because in those days I was getting married and having children. That's what women did. That was your opportunity. That was a, either that or be a nurse or a, or a teacher or a secretary. But my mother had never worked. I thought I would never work. So I just loved being an art major. I remember one time walking down on campus and the and a design teacher, well-known, big known, big name man named Max somebody, but walking with him for some reason, I, I don't know why. And he said to me, don't ever think you're gonna be an artist. And huh. it, it oh, didn't that, even, it just such went- an, oh, Such encouragement. Don't yeah. ever think <laughs> you're gonna be an artist, what a teacher. But it just went over my head. I didn't, didn't bother me at all because I never intended to use my art in any kind of business way. But God just dropped all incredible opportunities. But it started, Scott, by my friend, Sally, my good friend, Sally Forster. We got together and decided we would have little we would, we would do some, a little, what do you call it? We, we'd have a little um, crafts fair in our home. And oh, my, yeah, right. On, on the, my side of the bay, and then we go to her house, we do it on her side. So I painted little things and she did some kind of plastic flower arrangements and somebody else made banana bread. And so we invited all the neighborhoods in and, and it was so much, huge success. I made $60 and that was more <laughs> than anybody else. That's six so, times more than you made that for being preschool teacher. <laughs> that's right. And it was so exciting. And But what happened was Sally then would take my paintings. She was so encouraging. And she would take the paintings because I would dabble here and there as often as I could and put them under her bed. And then when she had company, she'd bring them out and sell them to people. And <laughs> it was just incredible. Anybody wanted to pay money for my paintings. And then the the, the little craft fair ballooned into a huge craft fair when some of the friends, her friends who were pretty knowledgeable took over. And then it became this incredibly big, popular craft fair with all kinds of people coming in. And I would go over there. Do you remember that you went to come and pick me up from that one time you, you ended up playing football with a pair of socks and then we i remember that we, we did because stanford it was when USC. stanford beat usc mike langford mike langford hit, hit the final field goal it was a beautiful was, dad was listening yeah. on his little uh transistor radio while we were running around playing soccer football it was, a, it was like a 54 I yard bar- field i barely goal. remember Huge. yeah, yeah right. so that that you were there to help me take things home that was across the bay it was a big deal but from that came a lot of people who wanted to see my paintings. They'd call and say, can we come over and see what you got? And so I would have them over. You would come home from school and I would have some strangers there. And and I, hated I, was, that. I hated that so much. Oh, yeah. I hated I hated your <laughs> open house days. Well, well, you had it like for a while. It'd be like every Thursday. Every, like so that's when a, I changed a week, it. Right? 
when I change so every day, yeah, every one day a week, you know, I'd be come home and there'd be people in my house. And when, like, it, when, oh. we, when we got it down to one day a week, that uh, was nice. That was the yeah, idea. Yeah. Get it down to well, one day a people week. People doing it in my house. So that's how I got it down that's to it. one day, and it was an open studio, and people would just come. And then two women came to me and said, "We want to help you. We want to be your art representatives." It's like what? They took over and they got it. They got me all kinds Is of that opportunities. Linda and Linda. Linda and Linda. And I looked yeah. that up and it's still going. Wow. And she just retired. I looked it up online uh, to contact her. But it's a millions and millions of dollar company now. Wow, but no I way. was the first person and I was pretty pathetic. But enough things got done that I would get nice little royalty checks. And from that, that's how things blossomed. And then I also continued to sell my originals and do little special silly little Kirk called him what did he call them little people or he called them idiot pictures but i'm not <laughs> sure that was, that was your dad. i'm not sure that was, that was the grandpa. most that was, that was not the most encouraging thing <laughs> well, he was very encouraging he did all my books and was always proud of me and i was delighted to be able to do something i love to do at home i could do it on my own time and i felt very very fortunate and it was ideal for a mom who wanted to be home when your kids got home from school and yet got a chance to do what she loved to do so I was blessed with that. That's awesome. That now awesome. I just paint, I paint and give it away because I don't want to bother with taxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can you continue to be a blessing on those. And I know that your painting yesterday was you you got a chance to paint Clyde, and that was really a beautiful way just to oh, paint really. paint your grief. It was a it was a really it well sweet just to keep looking at those beautiful features and and um. It's not, the painting's not there yet, but I'm going to work on it till it's better. But I loved spending the whole day just, it's a picture I took of Clyde. It was taken in California, Colorado, and it was such a fun picture. So I'm working on it still. So those were good days. I felt I had the ideal life. I loved it. One thing we didn't talk about, and I don't know if we have time to do that, is talking about Doug when we were in Illinois and when you got cancer. Well, I think we will. That's probably a bigger topic for a for a later session, but we'll, I think, <laughs> hold it there and and work on that next time. But that was that was great. Thank you for sharing some of your stories. And there's a lot more out there, but it was really good to hear those. And that's a great way. And tune in to the Why Bun Scott podcast next time, which will feature. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. <laughs> it'll it'll happen though. It'll happen. We'll do it. Yeah, this is a this is a this is a, this is a uh, ongoing thing. So, beware, bye, bye, scuts. You may be next. That's right. <laughs> so, you guys are so fun to work with. Thank you very much for giving me this chance to be with you. Thanks for on Zoom, and I appreciate it. And I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I love you too, Mom. We love you too. And that's the Why Bun Scott podcast. Catch you next time. Why Bun Scott? It's an acronym you. Wild Scott, fun for you and me. Wild Scott, it's a big weird family. The Wild Scott Family Podcast.